Hey everybody, it's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Hope you're having an amazing day. Today we have a really special podcast with Jolene Wynn. And the reason this is special, I'm not just saying that, um, this is special because she focuses exclusively on helping women heal from their spouse's porn addiction. So if you are a woman and you're not struggling yourself, but your husband is, this podcast episode is definitely for you. If you are a man and you are struggling and you have a significant other in your life, whether you're dating, you're engaged, or you're married, this podcast is also for you. I asked a ton of questions with you in mind, just thinking about like, okay, so what goes through someone's head when they find out? Um, will they leave me? You know, uh, how do I know if they'll leave me or if they'll stay? What are the repercussions? How does it affect uh, sexual intimacy? You know, just try to think about as many things as I could. Um, because even when I struggled, I was single. By the time I got married, this had been resolved. And so I've had to really be a good listener because I know a lot of you are in this position where maybe you haven't even told your spouse or you have told your spouse, but it's been hard to really heal and, and resolve the marriage and uh, or reconcile the marriage rather. And so um, anyways, I bore all that in mind. And honestly, this it, this episode could not have gone better. I was so happy with it. Uh, one of those interviews were like probably... A third of the way through, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I'm so glad I did this. And the really cool thing is Jolene and I got connected over Instagram, uh, which doesn't happen a lot these days. Most of the people I'm interviewing are because uh, I either know them personally or you know, I got a referral from someone. But, um, but I was really glad. And I just think um, this, there's so much to learn from her. So, um, so please listen up. Um, and, and just really try to have your empathy hat on uh, because we're talking about two very different sides of a complex, convoluted equation. And uh, I hope at the end of it, you're going to get some clarity. If you need some help on, on the female side, you're going to get some, some next steps. And I hope that if you're a man, you're going to understand just how important it is uh, to really have these conversations and to do them well. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jolene Wynn, guys. Enjoy. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose, supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Right. Well, I'm here with Jolene Wynn, a new friend here in the porn addiction recovery space. And you're not our typical guest, I guess, in the sense that you're not helping men get free of porn. You are on the other side of it. Uh, we know that porn addiction has all kinds of ripples. And you're specifically working with spouses who have gone through uh, kind of that betrayal experience. Um, so I'm really excited to dig in. But just for starters, welcome, Jolene. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Yeah, so this is really cool. Uh, for me, I, one of my goals this year was to get more uh, female people, uh, female people, females <laughs> on the podcast and, uh, and not just anybody, but people who really knew what they were talking about and had some experience. And, um, and I think maybe just as a starting point, can you kind of just give us an overview of why you got into this space? Because the typical guest here is like they were addicted or, you know, they had some experience. Um, that wasn't necessarily your case. You have a bit of a unique, a unique story. So let's start there. Absolutely. Um, thanks so much for having me. So excited to be talking about this. So I am here. I am a life coach for women who have a spouse addicted to pornography. And I got into this because my husband was addicted to pornography and I had no idea. And so after he told me and we did several years of relapses. And then I started healing. I finally realized that I had to heal on my own, that I couldn't rely on his behavior to heal me. And I think that's one of the things that I'm just diving in. I'm just going. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. You I go. I think it's one of the, one of the, the misconceptions that women have is that, okay, well, he's the one with the problem. So as long as he gets help and he gets his act together, then I'll be fine. And I definitely thought of my situation that way. But as he started to heal and do his own work, I started to recognize that 
my own healing and my own progression was all internal and entirely up to me. I had to take responsibility for my own journey and healing, and it was completely independent and not connected at all to whether or not my husband was actively watching porn or relapsing. And once I recognized that and was able to work through it, I realized that I just, I just felt very compelled to go find a way to teach this to other women. So that is how I decided to become a life coach. And that's why I do what I do now. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, we have to dive into all of that because I think what you just said is like (laughs) amazing. Um, But I'm going to go all the way back to your story. So how long have you been married? We've been married. Oh, man. I'm putting you on the spot. Like I know. (laughs) He knows this better than I do. Okay, 13 (laughs) years. 13 years. Okay, you've been married 13 years. How long were you together before getting married? Ballpark it. Uh, Okay, so that's a great question. Maybe um, off and on for three years. So we met when I was 17. Oh, wow. Okay. He was 18. And I know it's very cute. He was the first guy I dated, the first guy I ever kissed. And then he went on a mission trip and he was gone for 18 months. And so I dated a little bit while he was gone, but I wrote him letters and then he came back and we dated a year and got married. Got it. Okay. So the reason I'm asking is because I, I think I heard, if I heard you correct, while you're dating those three yeah. years ish, there's no mention of pornography or sexual misbehavior. No. Okay. And did the subject, did, did you ever ask him and like maybe didn't get necessarily a full answer or did it just never come up at all? It never came up at all. This is great. I've actually never thought about this. No, it was not something we really talked about, at least that I recall. I don't remember ever having a conversation where I asked him if it was a problem or he never brought it up to me. And he actually didn't start watching porn. This is unusual. Most men start watching porn very early on in life, right? Prepubescent. Um, Or it's very common. Um, My husband didn't start watching porn until after we were married. Ah, okay, good. Important detail of the story then That's for sure. Different. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So, okay, so while you're dating, it does, I guess it doesn't come up because it doesn't need to come up, but it sounds like even if it wasn't, was there, the conversation wasn't necessarily. The conversation didn't happen. So even yeah. if he had been, it, we didn't talk about it. Okay, got it. don't recommend. Yeah, no, for, yeah, <laughs> of course, for sure. Right. But I, I think it's important to know, right? Because we all yeah. know sort of like the ideals of like, yeah, of course you have these conversations and stuff, but like guys get cold feet and get super skittish or like, you know, we kind of answered the question on a technicality. We gave the right sure. answer, but we know we didn't really answer the question. Like, you know, there's all kinds of foolishness that happens. So that's why I was just asking. I was just curious. Um, how long into your marriage? No, not, I'm not really asking, I guess, when did you find out? But just how long into your marriage did it take before your, your husband starts watching porn? He said within the first six months. First six months. Okay, got it. Now, um, we were talking about this before we hit record, but uh, you're LDS. Yes. And, um, and so I know part of the standard, and of course, like I abide by the same standard, is you don't have sex before marriage. Yes. Um, now, I, I don't know your husband's full story, and we don't need to get into it, but I can imagine that um, I'm just thinking he's young, um, and he's finally married, and you know he gets to have sex, and um, mm-hmm. it's great. And then I imagine that probably also opened the door to other things that maybe would have led him to porn. Would that be fair? Was that part of it, do you think? Or how exactly did it happen? Not necessarily. So that's a great question. Um, He kind of thought that, you know, this would be great. He didn't really understand the desire to go watch porn because he thought it was a sexual thing. I, okay. Just a second. Okay. So I do not think that porn, even though porn is sexual, the reason men and women are driven to porn isn't right. Mm -hmm. It's usually a symptom of like a deeper problem, right? An emotional, we were talking about this before, an emotional problem, something that's unresolved underneath. So it wasn't that he wasn't sexually satisfied. He struggled with depression and that was the thing he didn't want to feel. And so when he was feeling depressed, that is when he would turn to porn. Now Uh, he didn't really see this or understand this, but he did connect that it didn't make sense in his brain. He was like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm finally having sex. I'm no longer a virgin. Virgin. I have a wife and yet I'm 
still being drawn to porn. And he didn't, that did not make sense to him in his brain, even while he was still actively seeking porn. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Thanks, thanks for clarifying. And, um, and that does, I mean, in, in many ways, that's probably a more common experience. Um, I know what, what we've seen in some of our clients is that sometimes when they finally can have sex, you know, and they're married and all that, um, then it just like their brain, it just has a hard time reconciling what's off limits and what's not. Yes. Um, yeah. But that, that makes perfect sense. So this is six months in, so pretty early on. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can tell us kind of the details around how this all surfaced. How did you find out? How far into the marriage were you? Um, give us a detailed experience. And the reason I'm asking for the details about it is uh, not, not necessarily to get like all the you know, dirty stuff about you know, your story, but I think it's important for guys to hear because I know some guys listening maybe haven't had that conversation yet. Uh, it's a little bit scary. I mean, it's, it's a lot scary really to have that conversation. Um, and they might want to have an idea, I guess, of what this can really look like. Um, and I think there, there's tons of learned lessons from your story as well. That's why you do what you do. And, and we'll get into that as well. But just tell us, tell us a bit of the story here. How did this all shake down? Sure, sure. Okay. So we had been married probably about six years when he actually, I think I was pregnant with like our third kid. And wow. he came to me one day and we were in our bedroom and I don't know, fold. I don't know if I was like folding laundry or doing something very normal. Right. And he said, okay, I have to tell you something. Um, I have been addicted to porn. I'm working on it and I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) And that was, that was it. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm not sure what to say to this. You said you don't want to talk about it. I'm not sure I said a whole lot to be perfectly honest. My husband remembers this a little bit more than I do. He says, I kind of curled up in bed that night and cried myself to sleep. I don't remember that, but I do remember what I thought when it happened. And I had two main thoughts. One part of me was like, oh, we've totally got this, this we can do, right? Like this is figure outable. Yeah. Nothing that can't be handled. Right. And part of me, and I didn't realize this at the time, but part of me thought, well, what's wrong with me? Right. Which is a very, very common thought for women to have. And it was especially because I was like, oh my gosh, this didn't even start till after we were married. Like I must be really bad in bed or something because (laughs) at the time I still thought that pornography addiction was all about sex. Right. And so I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So therefore I should try to be more exciting in bed or lose weight or make sure I'm always trying to be on and say yes. And like trying to manipulate myself in a way that kind of handled his addiction. Right. Which is Mm. a very common thing for wives to do. But going back to that, it was just part of me really was like, totally got this. And part of me kind of took blame and responsibility for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. Uh, I want to actually maybe go into both of those a bit more on the front end. So the kind of, we got this thing. um, I've seen that before and that can be really beautiful because it's like, you have this supportive wife who is like, okay, we're going to figure this thing out. Um, I've also observed it. It could be problematic in the sense that it's like, (laughs) we got this, they're taking on like, okay, we're going to solve this together. Let's do marriage counseling, whatever, whatever. And the woman kind of will take the reins a little bit and not necessarily find a solution that's actually addressing his issue, nor a solution that's going to address hers. Am am I off on that? Or can you, I don't know. That's totally true. That sounds totally true. So for me, you know, I'm a very action oriented person. And so he says, all right, I've got this problem. I was like, okay, we've got this. Like, okay, let's get you into therapy. Like, how does one work on this? But he was like, no, I don't, I'm working on it myself. And I was like, okay. So I didn't really do anything. And at that time I had no understanding or resources for what was available for me as the wife. Like it didn't even cross my mind. Hmm. that I could go talk to somebody or that I needed to, right? I, you know, for years I was like, no, it's cool. I've got this. I can handle this. Right. And I think that's exactly what he was doing right on his end. Only in my brain, I wasn't the one with the addiction. And so it was fine. Right. And so I wanted him, I, I tried to give him space to be okay going to therapy whenever he was ready. And being okay, going to, you know, our ecclesiastical leader, whenever he was ready, I tried to really step back and just be supportive in however he was ready to do it. I 
did not push him going to therapy or finding a program. Um, because I knew just from watching other people in my life that, you know, forcing someone to take steps they're not ready for, isn't going to lead to the result that you want anyway. Yeah. Right. You can't force your husband, like you can force him and drive him to the 12 step meeting and he can sit there and he can listen to it. And if he's not ready to work on it and internalize it, it's not going to do anything. It might make you feel better for a moment that he's gone to this (laughs) meeting, but it doesn't actually create the solution you're looking for. Yeah. And that's really, I think, easy to say, but it's hard probably for a woman in the moment because that that would be super panicky. Like I'm just imagining you in that situation where it's like you get dropped this bomb, probably yeah. have a bajillion questions, but like the yeah. the kind of last word is like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about talk. it. I was like, what just happened? Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. it really was. It was like my life had just done a 180. Right. And and he and I have always had great communication and a great relationship. And all of a sudden I'd had this like bomb thrown at me. And I had no one to talk to about it. And that was the most difficult thing. And the thing that I would say to men who are, who want to tell their wives are ready to tell their wives, um, is to understand that she probably, she needs someone to talk to about this. Hmm. And, and that someone should not be him. And that's, um, yeah, well, it can be, I actually always suggest, this is what the advice that I give is that you should be talking to three people about your husband's pornography addiction. And the first one is him. Now, some people are not in a place where they can do that without like a third party, right? Which is where marriage counseling can be really handy. Um, But the other person should be a professional and that professional should be someone you have just for you. Not, I mean, even if you have a marriage counselor, you should have someone that's just yours, your own therapist, your own life coach, someone that is only for you. And then another one is a confidant, right? Like whether that is your mom or your best friend or your sister, someone who knows kind of what's going on. They don't need to know all the details, but someone that when you're having a hard day, you can just call and cry to on the phone and you don't have to explain anything. And they're just kind of aware of you. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. It makes perfect sense. And I suppose, um, and the one thing I would clarify is, um, the level of detail is going to be different for each of those people. Yes, Like what you're communicating to your husband might be after some processing with the therapist, you know, and you've been able to sort of put it in a way that like is not going to bring all his defenses up or vice versa, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Really cool. So the other thing that you mentioned, the other main thought was the kind of the insecurities and, um, I can, I can imagine that. Like I can imagine hearing something like that. You would think like, what have I done wrong? And like you said, your case is very unique in the sense that this actually started after marriage. So I can just imagine the gravity of that. How did you work through that thought? Because you're here, you are like alone. You don't know there's people out there that you can even reach out to. How are you coping with this news and those specific thoughts? Um, I'm very blessed in that I naturally process my emotions. Now I'm assuming yes. that some of that your listeners, right, are kind of familiar with this is a very life coachy kind of thing to say, right? But you know, we're not we're most of us, it's not instinctual to feel when we have a lot of difficult emotion. We tend to push it down, distract ourselves with things, maybe like pornography, food, online shopping, scrolling social media, whatever it is. For me, I naturally process my emotions. I naturally feel my feelings. And so Mm. as this was going on, I actually had a very healthy response to it. I didn't push things down. I didn't shove it away. I actually felt it and processed it. Now, I didn't know that's what I was doing. It's just something I had always done. And it wasn't until years later when I started listening to um, self-improvement and life coaching podcasts that I became aware that this wasn't something everyone knew how to do. <laughs> because I had always done it, I just thought that was how people were. Yeah. And when I learned that that's not what everyone how everyone responds. That's when I said, Oh, I have to, I need to go teach this to people because they aren't doing it. And when you don't do it, it's way worse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, at what point then, Oh, actually I did have one more question around this, which is what prompted your husband to have that conversation with you? Was he in a program or did he just get some Holy spirit conviction one day or what, what happened? It really was really the Holy spirit. Like, so he, had convinced himself 
you know, that he, that it wasn't a problem that he had it under control until we had our first baby it was a little baby girl. And having that baby, he said was a huge turning point for him. He was like, I don't want this in my house. I don't want this like hmm. kind of evil thing in this house with this beautiful baby. And, and so that was when he started to try to really get a hold of it. And he said, what finally got him to tell me, and he had done this too, stepping back for a second. He had convinced himself, um, kind of that he wasn't lying because kind of like, as you said, like those technicalities, right. Because he, because I never asked him if he had a porn problem and he never outright (laughs) lied, the lie by omission wasn't a lie in his brain. So that took like years. I mean, he still kind of thinks that that was the justification for the years of not saying anything. Yeah. Um, But he said he emotionally had to get to the place where he accepted that I might leave. That was his biggest fear was that when he told me I would leave. And so he had to get to a place where he was not okay with me leaving, but accepted that that could happen. And that he would rather not live with the secrecy and the shame anymore. And that he wanted to get over this and was willing to face that if it happened. And that's Mm. what finally got him to, to tell me. Yeah, that's really powerful because it, it's like, yeah, you're you're sort of choosing between two really, really challenging options. Like right. one is that, yeah, you continue to live in the secrecy and the shame. Um, and the one thing I always point out to guys is you also risk being caught, which is much yes. worse. So um, much worse. Yeah, like a, a thousand times worse. Or uh, you have to have a really difficult conversation that could still have the same kind of repercussions. Um, I would love to just hear this straight out of your mouth just so that our, cause I'm sure our listeners are all wondering it, but did you ever think about leaving him when no. you heard the news? No, it never, it never crossed, crossed, crossed my mind. Never once. Wow. Not How come? In any, I don't know. It just never did. Like it never came into my mind. I mean, we had, he was my, he's my guy, right? He was the one that I had committed to. And, and like I said, that thought that was like, oh, this we can handle like, this mm. is figure outable. That wasn't, it wasn't a make or break thing. Yeah, it was, I still loved him who he is as a person. And I knew that this was not a direct reflection of his best self. And that enabled me to have compassion for him and yeah. having that compassion for him. It didn't make me hate him. I didn't want him to be out of my life. I wanted him in my life and I wanted to work on this with him if he would let me. That is so powerful. And I, okay. I guess one other question then is like, um, I think one of the reasons guys get really concerned about their spouse leaving is mm-hmm. because biblically, you know, porn and lust and all that kind of stuff, we know like the Bible has very strong words about it and it's it, it's sort of like adultery. We know it's not quite the same, but mm-hmm. from from a, a woman's perspective, why like because I imagine if that if the news was that he had cheated on you, the response might have been different. Mm-hmm. Why why are these not the same? Um, and I, I, I'm just I'm just curious from your perspective. This is a great, great question. Um, let me let me collect my thoughts here about this. I have <laughs> I've done a <laughs> podcast episode on this on how pornography addiction is not adultery. Not saying that it's a great thing, and I'm not right. <laughs> suggesting that everyone go do it or that it doesn't hurt like crazy. But a lot of the times, the reason that women like to keep it keep thinking of it as cheating as adultery is because it validates the pain that we feel, right? Hmm. We feel cheated. Therefore it means he did cheat, right? We feel like we were second best and that he chose another woman over us. Therefore that's what he did, right? That's what our brain likes to make it mean. I think that really the crucial part in this is understanding the root of addiction and understanding that pornography addiction is a symptom that porn is simply the outlet of choice and the cause, the root of it is not a desire for another woman, but a desire to avoid emotional pain, right? To they, they don't, a porn addict, any addict really has something that they're struggling with internally and they don't want to feel it. They don't know how to deal with it. And so they are distracting themselves. And that distraction, even though it is sexual, isn't about sex. Okay. It's about trying not to feel this feeling. And when you can understand 
that that is what's going on. It is very different than him purposefully going out and choosing to be with another woman on at, and have a relationship with them. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. And I, I think that's what, um, I think, I think that's what guys probably would know to be true if they really thought about it. Mm-hmm. But often it's the, the shame they've yes. played out worst case scenario in their head and they're just yes. blinded by like, no, I know she considers this cheating. She's going to leave me. Um, super, super helpful. So this is about seven years ago. You're six years into your marriage. This surface, the surfaces, you can't talk about it with him. So, but thankfully, like you're able to process on your own a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of what does, what are the next steps and what happens? Does he get free separately and you're processing separately? And, you know, you have a follow-up conversation a year later and he's like, hey, I'm ready to talk about it. Or, you know, what, what did it look like after I know, that? It- Pretty much. So here's what happened. So over the next couple of years, it was really awkward. Um, You know, I was kind of processing it on my own. He would go off and on to therapy, um, but it wasn't for pornography addiction. It was for depression. Um, Mm. And he would go for a couple of months and then he'd be like, I think I'm good. And I'm like, really? Because I feel like maybe you have some deeper issues, but okay. And it was mostly full of awkward conversations that where I would say, Hey, how are you doing? Just like that. And he'd right. be like, um, okay. <laughs> or, you know, and he did relapse several times over the next couple of years. He would go three, four, five, six months, and then he would kind of have, we'd kind of have a replay of that initial conversation where he'd say, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I relapsed. And at this time, I had no details. I didn't know what he was watching. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what he was watching, what he was looking at, what a relapse really meant. I wasn't asking because he said he didn't want to talk about it. So I was just kind of waiting for him to come and tell me or just kind of bringing it up whenever I couldn't stand it anymore and was like, how are you doing all cryptic like? And that was really it for years. And he's saying um, like every once in a while, I guess, hey, I had a relapse. But yes. it's still understood, but we're not actually talking but about it. But we're still it. not just, talking about it. Yeah. Okay. I'm just doing my yeah. part of confessional here and then yes, I wipe exactly. my hands off. Okay. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, how long does this carry on? And eventually the tides turn, I'm assuming. What what happened? Yes. So that went on for a couple of more years. I The thing that really turned, I kind of was when I started becoming more aware of my own healing process and what that was looking like. And the, the healthier I became emotionally, the more available I became to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. And as I became more emotionally available to him, he was able to share more. And we very slowly, like painfully slow started (laughs) talking about this more and more. And what really enabled him to talk about it more was him figuring out, um, his, that, that the root of it was his depression. And he kind of had a major kind of depressive crash, uh, three, four, how long ago was this? Maybe four or five years ago. And that is what kind of spurred his, that's what helped him find the solution, not only to his depression, but to his pornography addiction. And once he was like really free of that, we were able to communicate it about it in a much cleaner way because he no longer had all of the sh- the shame and the guilt, right? Okay. It's a tricky conversation to have, not only for all the emotions it brings up in the wife, but also for the husband, right? Every time we bring it up, it's like, he's got all this shame and guilt. This is how I talk about it. My ladies always, my clients, they always want to talk about his addiction to him. And I was like, ladies, let's put this in perspective. This is as if like, let's just pretend your husband comes to you and he's like, sweetheart, I know that you really struggle with your weight. I know you don't look the way you want to look. I know you feel guilty about the way that you are and the way you look physically. Don't worry. I have found the right nutritionist and the right program for you. And I've signed you up and I want you to go tomorrow because I want you to feel good about yourself. Yeah. Like, like that just, sounds really nice. But if my husband came and told me that I would punch him in the face yeah, and be make like, your, make your bed back. in the living room. Yeah, yeah seriously. Right. And that's what happens. Like it just brings up how guilty you feel about how you are already. And that's what happens every time you try to bring this up to your husband. You're just, Mm. he's just feeling guilt and shame over and over in waves. And it's very tricky to 
have that and have that compassion and that understanding uh, while that guilt and that shame is still there. If he doesn't have the tools and the ability to process that and communicate about that in a clean way. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to switch gears now a little bit because I think you, you mentioned probably the most important part of this really, which is that you start to take ownership of your side of the equation here, which, um, you know, for, for us, like the guys who are recovering or sorry, the guys that we help rather, um, that's the first thing we teach them is you can't blame. I couldn't blame like the guy who exposed me to porn in the computer lab of the Christian school when I was 11. That was, that'd be super easy, but it's just deflecting responsibility. That's ultimately mine. But I think, I think maybe people might be surprised to hear that um, that you actually had some responsibility to take in this as well, and that it wasn't all on him. So I want to switch gears, and I want the guys who are listening, who maybe do still have a, a struggle, and if you do have a significant other, you're not off the hook. But what we're trying to do here is we're trying to to clarify the boundaries, because yeah. um, a lot of guys, their addiction is actually perpetuated when their spouse gets involved, because their spouse is maybe not accounting for their part of, of the equation. Whether it's 2% or 50% or whatever. Absolutely. So for starters, I guess, why did you start to take ownership of your side of it? How did you realize that? It's a great question. I'm not sure I did it on purpose. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Again, I think it's just like kind of how I naturally am. Um, But I do think I recognized that I had no control over him. I couldn't force him to do the things that I wanted him to do. I couldn't force him to go to therapy. I couldn't force him to overcome this. And I recognized that the only person that I could control was me. So Hmm. that that's really the women. I think we underestimate are how our reaction affects our husband. Okay. Now you are not creating his addiction or forcing him to go watch porn. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the way that we respond affects the way that they react to us. Right. So if I come into a conversation defensive and angry, then he's going to react differently than if I come open and compassionate, right? We play off each other. The energy we have plays off one another. And I recognized that I had no control over him and that I could only focus on myself. And that is what enabled me to recognize the way I was showing up emotionally, spiritually, sexually in our relationship, and that that affected his reactions. So a lot of times, just as an example, I think the clearest example of this is in the, within the sexual relationship in, in the, like my own insecurities were heightened because of what my husband was doing, but he didn't create my physical insecurities. I had those since I was like 12. Right. Hmm. So those physical insecurities that I had weren't created by his addiction. He, his addiction was just kind of the thing that brought him to the surface a little bit more. And it was my responsibility to take a look at those and to work through those and solve those and heal from those so that I could approach our relationship and stop dragging my past into our future. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, dysfunction kind of intensifies pre-existing dysfunction, right? Yes, absolutely. So what you're kind of saying is, I guess you eventually realize, okay, what his addiction has actually done is it's just amplified some of the issues that were there all along. So rather than trying to remove the amplifier, let's just get straight to the source. Yes, absolutely. And And that's a hard thing to do. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) It's just a humbling thing to do because it's much easier to blame. It is much easier to just say like, well, our marriage was fine and this is all his fault. And so he needs to get his act together and then we'll be fine. Yeah. But it's, that doesn't actually solve it. So it takes a lot of humility to say, all right, I'm going to look at myself and see what I can do to improve myself in order to progress forward. Yeah. You know, this sounds a little bit like when we, when we go start going through people's past in our program, um, most of it lands at forgiveness and reaching a place of forgiveness about, you know, previous hurts and traumas and whatever. And of course the biggest pushback we always get with forgiveness is like, well, I don't want to forgive that person because I don't, I don't want them to get away with it or get off the hook or whatever. Um, and maybe even if we pull forgiveness aside, it sounds like you kind of have to go through that same process of like, I, I can just imagine you're like, okay, I guess, I guess his thing, he's, he's got a problem he needs to look after, but it, it sort of has amplified my own issue. I'm going to look after my issue, but it doesn't make what he did okay. 
Correct. It just means I'm not going to let, I'm not going to be the victim here anymore. I'm actually going to take control of my part of the situation. Absolutely. And I love this. This is something I work with a ton with my clients is forgiveness because that really is a fear. The fear is that if we forgive, then that means that everything they did was okay. It means we Mm -hmm. condone their behavior almost, right? Right. That maybe we're just too much of a drama queen or we're overreacting and that's not what it means. The reason that we hesitate forgiving really is because, um, and this is something I went through on my own journey. I thought I forgave my husband and then I realized that I was carrying around just like a tiny leftover bit of like pain, just a little bit of hurt that I liked to keep around, which makes no sense when you think about it logically, that I was just keeping this emotional hurt with me all the time, but I was afraid to let go of it. I didn't want to let go of it because I thought that meant that if I finally let go of all the hurt, then that it was just condoning his behavior, that what he did was fine. And this was like a really powerful spiritual moment for me because I had to recognize that giving this away, I, I, I gave it to Jesus. I was like, okay, Jesus, like I, I know how to do this. I've done this a lot. I know how to process hurt and pain. And I know that if I process it, it will leave, but I'm scared to. And I just had to take that kind of step of faith, right? Which is the opposite Mm. of fear. And I just had to say, okay, God, I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to hand this to you. And I'm going to trust that there's something better on the other side for me, because I don't want to keep carrying around this hurt. We think that keeping around the hurt kind of keeps the other person responsible for what they did, but it doesn't. All it does is keep us feeling hurt. And once I gave that to Jesus, it was gone. And I realized that the other side of forgiveness is actually freedom for yourself. Yeah, that's so good. It reminds me of that quote that unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and expecting the other person to die. Yes. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, always, I always use that one. I, I think that's exactly what you're saying. Um, you mentioned something really, really profound, which is that as you started to kind of heal and own your side of it, that he could kind of tell maybe that something was a little bit different. And there was, it was sort of paving a way for you guys to very slowly, as you said, have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we, we only have a handful of listeners, probably 10 to 15% are, are women. But I hope they hear that because, and I hope the guys hear it as well, that as we heal, um, our, our significant others can actually detect that. And you can, you can say, I'm an emotionally safe person until you're blue in the face doesn't make you an emotionally safe person Correct. though, right? Like those kinds of things are, are intuitive and they're felt more than anything else. Um, so it, I, if I'm understanding it correctly, as you go through this process now of owning your side of it, working through some of your insecurities, then he's starting to feel like maybe he, there's a little bit more leeway. Mm-hmm. I can talk to her and, and it's actually going to be safe. Am I understanding that right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. The journey that we took, we took parallel journeys. They were completely independent, but they we went at the same time along the same path and he kind of did it through one Avenue and I did it through another Avenue and my healing is what enabled me to open up to him. And his healing is what enabled him to open up to me. And that's why I think it's so imperative for both parties to take ownership and do their own work because it is a hundred percent possible for the guy to heal and the woman Mm. to not or vice Mm -hmm. versa. Right. And, And really it's, it's taking your own, taking ownership of your own healing, that's really going to enable you to draw closer as a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really, really good. Um, and it, it kind of just gets me, I guess, like I'm, I'm just imagining your journey and, you know, people might hear like, oh my gosh, like he, he wouldn't let you talk about it and you didn't work on this together and all that kind of stuff. But you know what, when you really think about what we're after, we're just after healing. Like we want to see individuals whole and we want to see relationships restored. And you don't have to be a perfectionist about how this thing happens. You know, everyone's got their own story. And it's really amazing to see how God worked all those things together for you to now do the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. T- tell us a little bit about it because um, I think there's there's two sides of this for, for women. I mean, one side is that, you know, women are also getting addicted to pornography. Yes. But, um, but you're you're focusing on, you know, the spousal part and what it's like when you're experiencing betrayal trauma and everything else. Can you just tell us a little bit about kind of your work and what exactly that looks like? Absolutely. So I work 
like you said, with women who have a spouse or significant other addicted to pornography. And since I am Christian, I come at it from that background. Um, so I typically work mainly with Christian women. Um, and I focus on them. It's very tricky to get women who have a spouse addicted to porn to stop focusing on him. Cause that's what your brain wants to do. Well, that he's the one with the problem I should. And then we try to manipulate his actions or manipulate the surroundings in an attempt to try and fix his behavior. So mm -hmm. my job is to help them heal. Even if he never does, that's what I tell women. I do. I help them overcome hmm. their husband's pornography addiction even if he never does help them get wow. to a place where they're emotionally whole so that they don't have to fear relapses. So they can make a decision about whether to stay or whether to leave from a clean emotional place, not from a place of anger or hurt or trying to make him feel bad. Right. And right. so my job, as I work with women, I coach women to heal emotionally so that they can live their best life no matter what their husband is doing. That is so good. So then let, let's like really double down on that. What mm -hmm. does that actually look like? So let's, I'm just imagining, let's say, you know, everything goes perfectly. So you have a client come through, she's emotionally healthy, she's healed, she's restored. Husband mm -hmm. continues to watch porn, but he's at least, you know, confessing the relapses or whatever. What does that look like from her perspective um, mm -hmm. if she has really done her, her work on her end? Right. It's a great question. So the point of what I teach is not to avoid emotion or to be happy all the time, right? It's not my, what I teach isn't, okay, we're going to teach you how to be like totally fine with porn. That's not <laughs> what it is. Okay. Cause yeah. I'm not there. So what I teach my ladies is how to process their emotions and where their emotions come from and how to manage their brain and process their feelings so that even if he relapses, understanding that you're probably going to feel some pain from that mm. because you don't think porn is okay. And you don't have to think porn is okay. But if you don't think porn is okay and your husband watches porn, you're probably going to have some hurt feelings. But if you know how to process those feelings and not bury them and carry them around like emotional baggage, then the very worst thing that can ever happen to you is you'll feel a feeling. <laughs> and the very worst thing that can happen when you feel a feeling is you just feel it. And once you learn that and understand that, then it's not so scary. So then you don't have to be afraid of all the potential life events that could cause emotional pain because you know how to handle emotional pain. Okay. That, yeah, that's really profound. And thanks for clarifying that because I think the counterfeit would be somebody who gets news of the relapse and is more or less numb to it. Like yes. th they've just become so accustomed to it. This is his thing. He's just always going to struggle with it. And I've just decided like, it's better to not really worry about it right. because that's going to bring up all those scary emotions or right. hopelessness or whatever. So mm -hmm. very important distinction there. Um, beyond the emotional component, uh, are there other parts of your process or anything else that you want to kind of comment on Jolene um, that help, help those women heal? Sure. So part of what I do, I say we do it in two parts. I was like, part is the emotional part. And then part is your brain because your thoughts are what create your feelings. So part of what I do is teaching them, helping them become aware of what those thoughts are that they have, the beliefs that they have, and then teaching them how they can change those to create a different result in their life. Yes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You're being called on. Do you I am being to that? called. Yes. Sorry, right. they were asking. <laughs> Thinking about it. Hey, can't, can't blame them there. <laughs> okay, got it. So you're, yeah, so you're starting to pay attention to your thoughts and, and kind of rewiring new pattern yes. formation, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, okay, really good. Um, is this happening individually, one on one, or in a group, or both, or what does that look like? I do both. So I have a group program. We do weekly Zoom calls. So we all log on as a group because I think it's really powerful for women to see that they're not alone. Um, again, because of what, what, I, what I went through, my husband was like, I don't want to talk to you about this. And I wasn't, I didn't talk to anybody about it for years and right. nobody knew. And it was, a, it's a very isolating thing. You can think that you're the only woman that's going through this. And it's not something you're like, sharing with your neighbor, right? It's not like, oh my gosh, I lost 50 pounds. This is amazing. I want to tell everybody about it. It's like, 
I shouldn't tell anybody about this. My husband doesn't want me to talk to anybody about this. It can be a very lonely, isolating experience. So in my group, we do group coaching where everybody logs on, but I coach one-on-one on the call. So it's kind of both. And then I also have um, a Slack channel that they all get on and they can communicate with me directly via messenger. So they can send me individual messages and I can coach them that way as well. Really cool. It, it's amazing because I think what you're doing is you're creating the the solution that you wish you would have had, right? Yes. Like the thing that you know would have been so helpful. Yes. Um, and you're giving these women and you're giving their marriages now a chance to uh, to heal and to restore. It's really, really cool. Um, okay, we're kind of nearing the end here, but I, I guess I'm curious, what, what for you is like the wild, crazy vision behind what you do? Um, do you, do you imagine a, a world one day where, you know, women are, are healthy enough um, on as kind of a normality that maybe, maybe whether or not men get, get free to porn and porn gets eliminated and whatever, that women continue to get healthier? Or I'm just curious because like when we have male guests on this podcast and especially guys who are working in this area helping men get free of porn, the million dollar question is like, where do we see this going? We know like virtual reality is coming and the, uh, well, it's here and the metaverse and all this kind of stuff and uh, the different avenues for people to misbehave sexually are increasing. And so, you know, some people are, are hopeful, some people are, are bullish, some people are bearish, you know, about what's going to happen. Um, but I've never really asked this question, I guess, through a different lens. And I'm just curious for you when you kind of get your visionary hat on and look ahead, what do you see? That's a great question. Um, I see a lot of different things. So I'm trying to think of how I want to answer this. What I really want to do is I want to change the conversation. Um, I would love to see porn absolutely eliminated, but I don't know how realistic that is. Um, you know, aside from Jesus coming down and saving us all. Um, so which I'm all for, but, um, if it's going to be here, what I want to do is I want to change the conversation because nobody told me that one, if, someone was an addict, that there was hope for a hundred percent recovery, right? The, the phrase that we hear is once an addict, always an addict. Like that's very depressing. Yeah, t- totally wrong. And, yeah. <laughs> and wrong. <laughs> and, um, the other thing is that it never even, again, like I said, it never occurred to me that I could go get help, right. That I could go talk to someone and that there was something that I did need to solve. We are not taught in our society how to feel our feelings. We are taught to eat our feelings or to overwork our feelings or to distract from our feelings and watch porn or drink or scroll social media. We are not taught real human connection. And that's the conversation that I wanna change. I wanna change that porn, like the idea that porn is healthy sexual education and should be promoted for teenagers. And I want to change the conversation that connection, um, I want to change, I want to people to know that connection happens face to face connection with an individual is really the key to solving most of our problems and Mm. being able to feel our feelings and express them in a healthy way is really what's going to be able to change that. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, I could keep talking to you. This has been amazing. I feel like I learned so much. Um, I know that some people are going to want to connect with you. Uh, you have a podcast as well for even just for yeah. guys who maybe want to understand the female side of it a bit more. Uh, highly recommend it. Where can people reach out and find you, Jolene? Absolutely. So I am on Instagram at Jolene Wynn Coaching. My podcast, I host it weekly. It's called The Porn Addict's Wife. And I also have a website, joleenewin.com, and you can find me at all of those places. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was Thank nice. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. All right. Wow, I'm so glad I got to bring this interview to you guys. I hope you found it as helpful as I did. I personally learned a lot listening to Jolene, and um, I, I just, I imagine you did too. Um, I I wanted to take this moment and really encourage the guys who are listening who haven't spoken to their wives yet. Um, If you're not married, maybe you don't need to have this conversation right now. If you're engaged, the conversation's coming. You better have it soon. If you're dating, um, maybe there's not as much of a rush. But if you're married, you haven't had the conversation, I just want to remind you, it is so much better to confess than to be caught. And every day that you do not disclose you are risking getting caught, which is going to have 
detrimental impacts to your relationship um, and, and possibly to even your own well-being long term. Um, I mean, we just see absolute devastation happen when guys get caught. Uh, what we see when guys confess, you know, when they own it and they brave it and they, you know, truthfully, they act as men of integrity, which is owning your mistakes. Um, we find that, you know, the chances of um, divorce and anything really dramatic long term are reduced. Again, we can't make any promises, but it's just a much better situation to be in than getting caught. So the time is now. And if you need some help doing that, you can reach out to us. We actually have, I think, an episode or two talking about how to disclose well. Uh, I'll see if I can find those and put, put the link in the show notes. But um, I just want to encourage you. I just want to speak to you guys specifically. Uh, have the conversation. You need to do it. Your, your marriage and your future depends on it. And the longer this stays hidden, the bigger of a problem it will be. Uh, much love to all you guys. And, and I guess lastly, you know, to the women, uh, reach out to Jolene. She's legit the real deal, um, really cool girl. And I think you would benefit tremendously from uh, doing her coaching services. So anyway, that is everything for today, guys. Much love to you. Have an amazing, amazing day. And we'll talk again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.